0: Welcome to Solar Tech Talk, where we nerd out about solar energy, technology, and everything in between. I'm Aaron Bingham, product manager with Baywa RE.
1: And I'm Tierney Marsh, sales manager at Baywa RE.
0: Hey, Tierney. So I hear that you have been up to some really exciting stuff at Baywa. Um, I know that there's been some changes in your role. What's going on? Tell me more about it.
1: Yeah. So. Um, I've actually shifted around quite a lot in the last year or so. I think when we started doing this tech talk together, I was working directly with installers. um, And a couple months later, I actually shifted over to managing a portion of our sales team. Um, So with that kind of shift has come a couple of other opportunities to be working on fun projects in supply chain, which is really interesting and and seeing the back and forth that goes on and demand planning and stuff so i'm really excited about that but i have to say I, uh, I have less time nowadays. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, I know. I mean, your calendar is just stacked and it's been really exciting to see you take on uh, such a prominent leadership position uh, within the, the, the wider BayWall organization, right? You're, you're helping to push some really important initiatives that um, our customers are going to be affected by in a big way. So it's very exciting. Uh,
1: thank you, Erin. Yeah, I'm actually going to have to step away from the Solar Tech Talk, unfortunately. And uh, but I have to say, it's probably good timing because I've run out of plaid shirts, uh, so <laughs> here's, you know I, I no longer can can support the uniform. Uh, but I want you to to know that you're you're in really good hands. Hey, Jason, come on out here.
0: We're really excited to have Jason Burnett joining us as a new co-host of Solar Tech Talk. Um, Jason, can you give us a quick intro into your experience in the solar industry? Yeah, Aaron,
2: uh, I've got about 10 years of distribution experience and have about 15 uh, roof installations for residential solar. And here at BayWa, I'm the technical sales support. So I assist uh, our account managers and our customers in panel
1: claw design. And and most of all,
2: um, I'm super excited to be able to join this show with you guys.
0: Yeah, we're so excited to have you.
1: I think we made a good choice, Aaron. Jason is is pretty nerdy. I think he's going to fit in well.
0: <laughs> Jason, how many plaid shirts do you have? <laughs> I, I've got at least two, but I'm willing to buy <laughs> a couple
2: extra.
0: So. <laughs> yeah. So so great to have you joining us on the show. And, you know, Tierney, we are we are definitely sad to be saying goodbye to you for now we hope you'll come back and uh you know guest host for a spot or two in the future so yeah either that or we'll have you on for an interview just to tell us about some of some of the fun initiatives you're working on Tierney
1: thanks Erin I am I'm excited about the new opportunities that I get to focus on but it's going to be sad to see leave the solar tech talk I'm looking forward to to seeing what you and Jason put together and uh with that I'll say see you later
0: I'll see you later. All right, Jason, it's just me and you now. How, how are you feeling?
2: Nervous and excited, but but totally glad to be here and looking forward to some
0: some great interviews and, and talks. Fantastic. So why don't you go ahead and tell us who our first guest is?
2: Sure. Our first guest is uh, Ashley martin Golis. She's the Director of Product Marketing at Enphase. And she's going to cover a few topics, the an update on IQ8, an update on energy storage, as well as some some innovations and some improvements
0: on products. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to catch up with Ashley again. We've we've spoken with her before and you know, I'm always very interested to hear what the Enphase team has been up to. So, let's go ahead and see how she's doing. Let's go. Hey Ashley, thanks for joining us again. We're really excited to have you back on Solar Tech Talk.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: So the last time we had you on the show, you and your colleague David gave us a, a really exciting update about the latest within phase. And it's it's been about six months, I think, since we recorded that episode and a lot has happened. So we thought we'd have you back on to give us another update and tell us about all this great stuff that's been happening over at inphase. Let's see. I'd like to go ahead and start off with a bit of an update on where things are at with the IQ8 rollout. The last time we spoke, IQ8 was in its early stage of launching, folks were going through the transition of moving their demand over from the IQ7 platform to the IQ8 platform, and there are a lot of changes around what kinds of applications were suitable for the IQ8 platform that weren't really suitable for the IQ7 platform that, that led to some really exciting opportunities for people to expand the way that they're using Enphase. Um, what can you say about where things are at with the IQ with the IQ8 rollout and that transition from IQ7 to IQ8?
3: Yeah, IQ8 is uh, is really doing well. You know, it's it's our new standard, and we've shifted shifted the vast majority of our shipments over to IQ8 now. I mean, it's a really cool product. The uh, the fact that it can form a microgrid, you know, that sunlight backup, the ability to be able to have a backup power source without a battery, just based on the solar that you produce. I mean, that was an industry first. It's really cool. It's a brand new and totally unique offering. There, we're continuing to develop on the IQ8 platform as well. And um, we expect later this year to uh, release a three-phase version of our commercial version of IQ8, as well as some higher amperage versions that will be able to better pair with some of the higher power modules that we're seeing come out on the market.
0: That's really exciting news. I know that one challenge that um, some of our customers are running into is just some of the modules that are available now are very high output and they have... Um, interesting electrical profiles that are a little bit more challenging to to find a good match for within, you know, many of our different MLPE options, not just Enphase. So really exciting to hear that you guys are tackling that challenge head on.
3: Yeah, more to come soon.
0: Yeah, great. Hey, Ashley, what are some uh, product
2: announcements from Enphase that installers uh, might be looking forward to or or eager to hear about?
3: We recently announced that we're developing a bi-directional EV charger. Uh, we've put a, a video about it on our website as well as a white paper, but it would allow vehicle to home and green charging to enable your car to charge from the green electrons that you're generating from your from your solar. So look for more to come on that one in the future. It's a super exciting product category for us, thanks to the acquisition that we made of Clipper Creek a little over a year ago. And um, we're also really integrating the EV charger line into the N phase energy system overall. So that's a, a super exciting area and an opportunity for installers to really, you know, be able to add on perhaps to, you know, some of the installs that they're doing with customers to add an EV charger or to plan their solar system knowing that they're going to add an EV in the future.
0: Yeah, and it's really interesting to think about what are some of the applications of um, you know, vehicle to home or vehicle to grid functionality, right? How will that change the way that folks think about energy storage and about, you know, their next vehicle purchase, right? If your car is suddenly your home's battery as well, it's 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 really interesting to be able to think of that as a whole new kind of investment or a whole new value add to owning a vehicle and having a vehicle parked in your garage.
3: When you listen to our co-founder Regu talk about the vision that he sees for the industry and transactive energy, you could think about also using this as a potential way to increase your return on investment. If you're able to export some of the energy that you have stored in your EV battery to the grid during peak hours, you know that that can really change. Uh, it can it can be real money for people, and it can it can change the uh, the calculations that you make about that return on investment.
0: Um, and, and this is a bit of a question out of left field, so do with it what you That's like. But <laughs> um, is there any work happening over at Enphase around being able to give customers access to kind of value add things like um, uh, virtual power plant programs, VPP programs, that would allow customers to actually collectively sell power back to the grid in aggregate as a supplier when when you know their utility needs the power?
3: Absolutely. Enphase already participates in several grid services programs, um, including in Arizona, Connecticut, Hawaii, through the uh, HECO Battery Bonus Program, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Vermont. And we're adding additional states and programs all the time. So um, for homeowners that live in those states, they can absolutely enroll in those programs and be able to, you know, uh, sell some of their stored energy back to the grid for, you know, financial incentives, depending on what the program is in each state.
0: That is, that is really cool. That is how we are going to get rid of more coal-fired power plants in the, in the near term. So Absolutely. that's really exciting. And with the talk of the virtual power
2: plant you know, being a great innovation, what are some of the most recent innovations from the phase team?
3: I'd love to tell you about some of the system-wide improvements that we've put out to the phase energy system over the past couple of months. I actually have a chart to show you for those who can uh, see. Enphase has uh, reduced commissioning times by about 70% over the past several months. So if you look back um, April of 2022, we realized we had a problem commissioning times have gotten uh, as high as almost 300 minutes if you're looking at sort of like 50 percent of the fleet and we knew that that was a problem and we heard from many installers too that that was really making their their jobs very difficult so we dedicated with like a maniacal level of focus to improving commissioning times over the past year and you can see that we're we're now down to about 86 minutes um, for commissioning times and we still think that that's not good enough, and we absolutely want to continue to make some improvements.
0: Wow, but that's a that's a reduction of basically two thirds. Um, so it's a, it's a huge improvement in the in the installer experience. And I know that this has been a pain point pain point for some of the early adopters of the IQ battery, right? Um, I think that there were there were firmware updates that were happening that. You know, for folks that are looking at the chart that um actually sharing, there's a bit of a, a bump up in the commissioning time and the average commissioning time for 50% of the fleet after March of 2022. And that probably had to do with firmware improvements that were made, but that had to be then downloaded by some of those devices that increased the commissioning time. And so the Enphase team has made great strides in reducing that through making it faster for the devices to be able to get to the right version of the firmware and get on the same page as the the rest of the Enphase fleet so that it can provide the same services.
1: That's right.
3: Steady improvement month over month. And you mentioned software improvements. I'd love to tell you a little bit about one of the software releases that we had come out late last year, IQ Gateway software version 7.3.120, and that delivered three big areas of improvements. The first one is that it really sped up commissioning time. Like I said, or showed you on the other chart, almost 300 minutes in April of 22, currently we're at 86 minutes. And that really comes through the pairing of Installer app version 3.27 or newer, along with this IQ Gateway software of 73.120. And we plan to reduce that 86 minutes down to 80 minutes by the end of this month. And the way that we plan to get there is by pre-installing that latest software on the IQ gateways, both at the factory and in distribution, like with BayWa. 73120 also came with some major improvements to grid transitions. We improved grid transitions by 4x with this release. And you know, I think especially in Areas that have a lot of grid outages, this will be um, a, a really uh, noticeable improvement, um, and we plan on uh, additional improvements to those in coming releases.
0: Okay, and so by seamless grid transitions, we're really just talking about what the customer experiences as a blip in the lights, or you know, exactly. something dimming out when the power source has to change from grid to battery exactly. or grid to PV. Okay.
3: And we know that folks have had some challenges with the IQ load controller and in having those effectively shed loads or get properly installed and so, We launched a program in February of 23 for IQ load controller. So we saw a bunch of issues in the field where IQ load controllers were perhaps not being installed correctly or where we were having issues um, effectively shedding loads. Our field service technicians proactively look for systems that are having problems with the IQ load controller and then reach out to be able to go to the site to improve the installation or to make the IQ load controller more effective. And then lastly, the IQ Gateway software 73120 also had a big improvement in uh, communication stability. So in terms of communication downtimes, that might be as a result of the ZigBee communication between the various Enphase energy system components. We cut those down in half with that latest release. And our goal is to eliminate comms issues with the, the upcoming 735X release, which we expect to come out before the end of the quarter.
0: Very ambitious. That's awesome. Wow, so your team has been extremely busy. (laughs) Clearly, there's a lot happening on the back end to improve the software experience and improve the installer experience, and also make additional services available to Enphase customers that weren't previously available, whether that's your field service techs reviewing the way that the site is performing and watching out for issues or getting to participate in virtual power plant programs. So much has been happening.
3: There's another feature I'd love to tell you about that I think your installers would really benefit from. And this is, again, us watching out and figuring out where folks might be running into challenges. And that sometimes comes up with CTs. We recently rolled out a new feature where you can actually reverse the polarity of a consumption CT without ever needing to visit the site. We know that in, incorrect installation of a CT is a is a common a common thing. And we don't want you to have to actually go out to the site to be able to fix that. So now you can log into the end phase installer portal. You might be used to calling that enlightened manager in the old naming convention, but there's a new feature in there where you can actually reverse the polarity so that you'll start to see the consumption data rolling into the, the app as expected. And so There's a quick little uh, screenshot over here for those of you who are able to see this uh, on the video feed, but uh, very quickly what you do is you click the gear icon to get to settings, then you click devices. Then when you click Enphase integrated consumption meter, if you look at the bottom of that screen, there's a little orange link that says reverse polarity, and you can click that to switch it um, and start to see proper consumption data flowing. And again, without a truck roll.
2: Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Having done you know a few installations myself, you know working with CTs, cramped wire boxes. I mean that is that's great that uh, an installer can now just hop on their app, click a few buttons and settings, scroll down and hit reverse polarity. Like avoiding that truck roll roll is huge. And Ashley, could you help me understand a little bit uh, more about IEEE 1547? And as states start adopting that, like what is the impact or what does that mean?
3: Yeah, I'd be happy to. IEEE 1547 2018 is a new national grid interconnection standard. And it was published in 2018. So that's why 2018 is in the name there. But adoption has just started. So some states started adopting just in January of this year. I, I'm happy to say that most end phase products Uh, are compliant with 1547-2018 without needing to make any changes. Um, But we'll talk in just a second about a couple of new SKUs that we're introducing to make sure that the full system is compliant. Um, A couple of things that are important to know is that this standard is not retroactive. So sites that are already installed today don't need to do anything. So these new standards only apply to new installations. So when installers are submitting their permit plan sets or their interconnection applications, you want to make sure that you're using the latest data sheets. We've updated those to show that Enphase products have passed UL 1741 SB 3rd edition, which is what reflects that compliance with IEEE 1547-2018. In terms of where it's being adopted, so there are a few states that have already rolled out their, um, their implementation, and that's New York, Pennsylvania, and the New England states starting in January, and then Hawaii just added in, um, in February. Next up, California and New Mexico adopt 1547 starting April 1st. So let's talk about which SKUs you need to use that are different in order to ensure compliance. Again, um, 1547 is about that grid interconnection. And so it's our communications products that have been updated to make sure that they uh, are compliant here. So. IQ Combiner 4 and 4C, as well as IQ Gateway, now have new SKUs to comply with 1547. The products are still called the same thing, but the SKU number for the compliance SKUs starts with X2 instead of X, or ENV2 instead of ENV for the Gateway products. And to help you be able to tell the difference when you have them on site, there is a sticker on the box that says it's compliant with 1547-2018. That's great. For installers in California, there's a couple of things that are happening all at the same time. So like I just said, when I showed you the map, April 1st is the adoption for 1547, 2018. And I'm sure every installer in California is paying very close attention to the new net energy metering plan NEM 3.0, which takes effect April 14th. So for installers in this state, if you're trying to make sure that your project gets grandfathered into the old NEM 2.0, When you submit your interconnection application between April 1st and April 15th, make sure that you are using these compliant SKUs, the X2 and the ENV2 SKUs. And that's so that you don't get a surprise rejection that could send you back and make you miss the NEM 2.0 deadline, which I'm sure your homeowner was really counting on. So make sure that you're using these new compliant SKUs as soon as you can, especially starting April 1st.
0: And so, are there? I see that um, you know compliance is limited to the combiner four and four C or the um, latest version of the gateway. So are there any applications that, for instance, can't use the four or four C um, combiners to effectively meet this requirement?
3: Great question. If you have a legacy N phase M series site that has the old Envoy S product. And Envoy S is not compliant with IEEE 1547-2018 and it will not become compliant. So if you are retrofitting an M-Series site to add IQ battery, it could be that that site would not be, would have to have um, a micro swap actually to be able to get up to compliance because the M-Series microinverters can't work with the IQ gateway or the IQ combiner. It requires that legacy Envoy S product. So that's as to whether or not that site getting the upgrade requires that new interconnection application that's going to be up to the utility or the ahj and we're not really sure what's going to happen so that's one of those you'll have to check with your utility to see what's allowed in that case
0: yeah i'd imagine in markets where things like NEM 3 are taking effect in the same time frame the uh utilities appetite for grandfathering in uh system updates is probably going to be a little more limited than most of us would hope for but I'm a bit of a cynic maybe.
3: (laughs) We've definitely heard questions from customers when they look at like the CEC listing of products. They're like, oh, I see iq 8 h 208 volts is listed as compliant. Is that the three-phase version or the single-phase version? And it's the single-phase version. Um, We we don't have a three-phase solution that is compliant with uh, IEEE 1547-2018 yet. But like I mentioned earlier, we're continuing to develop that three-phase version of IQ8. And when that solution comes out, that will be compliant with 1547-2018. Um,
0: awesome. So we'll have to be on the lookout for, for that next generation IQ8-based uh, commercial solution for those areas where IEEE 1547-2018 is being enforced you know, through some method, right? Um, that's right. Folks, folks doing installations in those areas. We'll just have to watch out for that and make sure that, that they're speccing those jobs appropriately for the time.
2: With all the great information that you've provided, um, are there any events that Enphase is uh, co hosting doing that we can get excited about?
3: Yes, absolutely. Enphase is doing an IQ battery training roadshow. And we've got a few events coming up soon, including at the Baywa Plano location on March 9th and at Bordentown on March 23rd with more to come. so. Be on the lookout for an email from your Enphase sales rep for information about how to sign up for these great events.
0: Yeah, we're really excited to finally get to partner with Enphase and other manufacturing partners that Baywall works with to host roadshows. This is a a new thing for our team. Um, You know, folks who've been watching us for a while know that about a year ago, we acquired the um, Beacon Roofing Solar Team, and that came with several branch locations um, that we uh, staff ourselves and we can hold events at as a a byproduct of that. So it was a fantastic investment for us, and we're really excited to get to capitalize on it in the form of roadshows with partners like Enphase. You all are the first partners, I think, that we're going to be working with on a roadshow, so it's really exciting to see you yet again trailblazing with us and um we hope to see a bunch of people out at the shows uh reach out to your baywall rep or to your in-phase rep if you have questions about road shows that might be coming to your area or um, other opportunities that you might have to meet up with the Baywall team or the phase team at at local shows or uh roadshows so I, I actually was lucky enough to get to attend kind of the the first iteration of the roadshow series that your team uh, or that the phase team is working on putting on this year ashley uh, at Enphase headquarters a couple of weeks ago. And during that presentation, there was a really, really interesting case study that I I didn't want to uh, leave today without having us talk about, because I just was blown away. What can you tell us about what happened when um, some storms recently hit California and took their, their utility power out of commission for a couple of big events, right? I think.
3: Yeah, that's right. It is a, a pretty fantastic story. It, the, his name is Bruce. That's the that's the homeowner. He lives in a remote area of Northern California. Uh you mentioned he has uh IQ7A, he has uh 27 panels and my IQ7A microinverters. He's got two IQ battery tens, a system controller too, and he's got generator integration. And it's really cool. We we actually just um probably by the time that you're hearing this podcast a video of Bruce telling his own story is going to hit the end phase, uh, webpage. Um, so you guys are getting an exclusive preview here with content that's not included in that video too. And when we, when we look at the information from, uh, from Bruce's system, right, there was, it was very famous in the news, all of these crazy storms in Northern California in January, like record rainfall, et cetera. Um, Bruce is already in an area that experiences frequent grid outages. And he had, uh, multiple outages in January, uh, two of the longest ones. He had one that was about 24 hours. And then he had an eight plus day outage happen starting on January 9th. And Bruce was able to stay, keep his home powered for that entire almost nine days without having to change his lifestyle, thanks to his NFACE system. So I wanna talk a little bit about sort of what that looked like for him. So Bruce has a generator that he uh, supplements his system with. There's a lot of trees and especially during this particular outage, um, for those of you who can see the screen, there's not a lot of blue bars, right? There was a, a ton of storms, heavy cloud cover. His system wasn't producing a lot of solar. And so his generator, which was in eco mode would kick on. So basically when his battery state of charge would reach 20%, his generator would kick on and charge the batteries. Generators can be kind of more than a lot of people need and end up being sort of wasteful because they're producing all of this power. But if you're not consuming it, it doesn't really benefit you. So-
0: right. If you have like a 5kW generator on the site and you're okay. using 2kW of power beyond what your batteries or your solar can provide, you would have that 5kW producing 5kW and wasting essentially the 3kW of fuel that you're not
3: using in that moment. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But- But this situation, basically you put 100% almost of that power, That's I shouldn't say 100%, you put all that power that's generated by the generator straight into the batteries, and then you use it as you need. So you can see that the generator was running for, it would run like sort of full bore for not very long, and then it shuts off. So it's super fuel efficient. And then Bruce would run his home off of all of his his battery. So it would charge, the generator was charging the battery from 20% state of charge to 40% state of charge, and then it would turn off. And then he would run his home off of his battery. And then when he reached 20%, the generator would turn back on, recharge his batteries, et cetera. And yeah, and that's how he was able to maintain, um, his lifestyle unchanged for that full eight days and seven hour outage, um, uh, it, it's a really cool story that that shows how powerful that generator integration can be for extended outages, um, and and how you know efficient it can be.
2: We got a nice uh, linear bar chart that shows about fifteen minute intervals, um, and we can see that the generators turned on very minimally throughout the day, uh, kind of bumping from that twenty to forty percent. But it's also kind of showing that that we're maximizing that energy production by pushing it into the batteries and then able to trickle that out over the next several hours before we actually need our generator again. So it, it seems like a, a great process. And this is a great visual as well. And this
3: is what the homeowner you know, can see in the Enphase app, right? It's, it, it gives you a bird's eye view of uh, how your entire energy system is working and performing. And uh, even during outages, you can see all of this level of data.
0: That's great. That's, yeah, that's really exciting. And, and it's so exciting to know that, um, you know, Enphase roadshows are coming back. Are there any other, I know your team has been putting so much work into pre- preparing resources and, and making sure that um, folks that are out there selling the IQA ecosystem um, have, have a lot that they can use to, to, to communicate with customers about the advantages of choosing Enphase. Are, are there any resources you'd want to highlight for any installers that are listening to the program?
3: Absolutely. We have the Enphase brand library. We, we just talked about Bruce's story and that and, and how we're making a video of that. We have lots of great videos, product images, sell sheets, presentations, product comparisons, tons of great assets that you can use to help sell um, Enphase products. And those are all available to you on library.enphase.com. And you just sign in with your Enphase installer account to get access to those. And for those of you who are able to see the screen right now, you can scan that QR code and get taken right there.
2: Fantastic. Well, Ashley, I wanted to say thanks for all the great information that you've provided for us today, um, all the great resources, the upcoming roadshows, the great story and real life experience with the customer being down for eight days. Look forward to seeing you yeah, at some of the roadshows.
3: Yeah, thanks so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you.
0: Take care. It was really great to catch up with Ashley. I I always love hearing what Enphase is doing and it sounds like they're making some really significant strides to maintain their position as a market leader when it comes to innovation in the inverter and energy management space. I, in particular, was really excited to learn that they are putting a lot of energy into reducing commissioning times and making sure that the IQ battery is, is easier and faster to install.
2: And uh, it was also great just to hear how uh, connecting policy, as uh, she talked a lot about IEEE 1547 uh, 2018 and kind of in conjunction with NEM 3.0 and, and how to, you know, just make sure that we're paying attention to our dates when we're doing submittals for approval. Uh, and if it's after the April 1st date, we want to make sure that we're using the correct products. We recently met with David Dunlap um, and and touched on these uh, same policies. Um, so how about we uh, hop over there and, and see what he has to say?
0: Yeah, let's do it. Thanks for joining us, David. We're excited to touch base with you on what's going on from a policy perspective in the wider industry. We've seen quite a few changes. Some of them that are being implemented, you know, AHJ by AHJ or state by state, and some of them that are being implemented from a from a federal level. Um, and we wanted to catch up with you on on a few of the things that we've been seeing.
4: Sounds great. Happy to be here.
0: So one of the things we're going to be seeing in 2023 is a, a change in some of the requirements that our inverters have for being installed in certain jurisdictions. I'm specifically thinking of the IEEE 1547 2018 implementation and how that's kind of rolling through different jurisdictions across the country and what implications it's having for our partners. What what, what could you say about that?
4: Um, sure. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, so obviously every state uh, and every local jurisdiction has a different time frame for rolling through various uh, code cycles. And the IEEE 1547 2018 uh, sort of began that rollout in the earliest adoption states at the beginning of this year, January of this year. Um, and so whatever that sort of cycle looks like in, in your state, in your jurisdiction, kind of understanding when it goes into effect And then consequently, which inverter products uh, are uh, already compliant or will be compliant by by the time uh, that goes into effect. So at the manufacturing level, the manufacturers are um, actively trying to stay in front of it from the earliest states, but it also sometimes means that their production volumes uh, will be ramping as they roll out a new compliant version. They'll prioritize the regions of the country, the states, New York, California, California, Massachusetts, et cetera, that are earlier in that timeframe to make sure that the products are available in those markets prior to sort of everything. The other interesting change is that um, if a manufacturer is already contemplating a change in their product line, a transition from an old product line to something new, they may not make that update um, on the old product line. And we're already seeing this uh, choice having been made by uh, Fronius and SMA, for example, where the new products that they have roadmapped to come out will be fully IEE 1547 compliant, but the old ones won't get an update. And so if you're in those early adoption uh, states and markets, you need to be careful about your, your product selection during that transition period. And if you're in a later adoption state, you're probably going to be fine with the introduction of new products in, into the market.
2: Hey, David, uh, in regards to IRA, um, have there been any recent updates? I know it's been out there. Everybody's asking about it. Um, and, and there's not always a lot of information to give. And I just want to hear what you have to say uh, about the policy.
4: Yeah, great. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, the IRA is uh, such a wide sweeping and, and sort of comprehensive bill, and there were only a uh, sort of a small area of um, immediately effective changes. The, the first was the um, resetting of the ITC, the credit back to the 30% rate, and then fixed for 10 years. That went into effect right away, um, right? so So already applicable for the current tax year. Similarly, the standalone storage at 30% um, rebate rate or or tax credit rate um, also went into effect on January 1st for systems installed now. So that would be applicable on next year's tax filings for the homeowner's. All the rest of sort of like adders, which is I think where where most of the conversation is around, whether it be low income or community or um, tribal land or uh, energy communities, or probably the biggest one that I hear about is the domestic content adders. These are all on the; they're underneath the the Section 48D uh, commercial part of the policy. What that means is that they're designed for incentivizing the asset holder, in this case, a commercial or third-party owner, to make the choices either of location of the system or the sourcing, w- which is the domestic content, rather than falling under the residential uh, interconnection agreement, the the ITC. Uh, so this is the probably the biggest point of contention or, or I guess area of questions that a lot of installers have is, how do I take advantage of the domestic content adder? And the answer is if you're selling residential systems with a cash or a loan, you are not taking advantage of that 10% domestic adder. It's not designed for ITC. So it's not a matter of taking the 30% tax credit that the homeowner gets and adding another 10, 20, 30% to it, not the way that the, the policy is written at all. It's it's all of those uh, adders are on the commercial side of the policy. Um, and, then, and then I think the other reason that this is uh, kind of challenging uh, to address is that how even at the commercial level and the asset holder, how they're going to take advantage of that money that requires guidance from the treasury department. And that has not been released yet. Um, last month in February, they did release some initial guidance around uh, the low-income community guidance, but that's it. They haven't done uh, the rest of them. And so we're still anticipating it'll be well into Q2 before the rest of that guidance comes out.
0: Right. Because the guidance will kind of spell out how far up up the manufacturing stream the component sourcing needs to go to get to the domestic content uh, status that's
4: Yeah, that's a great way of of framing it, Aaron. Um, So there's two parts of the domestic content. One is qualifying for that adder, which means they have to define what does a system, total system from an equipment standpoint, need to achieve in terms of domestic content. And the speculation based on uh, past year's policies um, and definitions is something around 40 to 55%. There's probably a range and that may ramp over time, but some percent of the total equipment value that was sourced from American manufacturing. Now there, at that sort of statement, there's also a, is it the final product value or is it at the component level or is it the subcomponent level? And a lot of the speculation right now is that it will probably be at the component level. And what that means is that um, for a, um, a module uh manufacturer, it may not be enough simply to have an assembly facility in the U.S. to qualify for a domestically manufactured product, according to that definition. So this is why it is really critical that the Treasury release this guidance, make it crystal clear how to do that calculation and what it's going to be based on. And so if it's at the component level, just as an example, that would be your cell's your EVA backsheet, your junction box, your glass, your frames, right, your silver paste, all the other stuff, most of those are not currently manufactured in the US, um, right? And so most of the module manufacturing assemblies uh, in the US today are really just taking those imported components and assembling into a a module. So this is why it's critical that we wait, we be patient, we need that guidance to really understand what is going to count and what isn't. And then again, it's, it's not enough for an installer to say, I bought an American-made module, therefore I get 10% or I can offer the homeowner 10%. That's at the finance level, The, the, the who owns the asset. And, and because it's written into that commercial side of the, the policy, it's actually a, a pool of money that has to be applied for in advance in order to be made part of that financial model. And then those domestic content products have to be specified into the project. So mm-hmm. it's it's kind For of like it's,
0: AVL or
4: kind of yeah. That's yeah. that's yeah, it's probably gonna fall under it like that. So I think it's gonna be a while before anybody really figures out exactly how to integrate that and monetize it into those TPO and PPA models. I think it's probably gonna be um well into the later part of the year after guidance that we really understand where that's gonna fall, how that's gonna work.
0: Are you uh are you thinking you can make any six month out predictions of like what the impact of this change would be on the competitive landscape i know with you know the cost of capital going up right interest rates increasing some forms of financing are maybe less appealing than cash deals but at the same time you know there, there still is a great opportunity for folks who are financing systems to you know potentially have a leg up if they're able to take advantage of the domestic content
4: Absolutely, yeah, that that ten percent adder, it sounds kind of small in a sense if you just think about ten percent, but it's ten percent of the overall system cost. And so if you just take a rough average of three dollars a watt for an installed system, that's thirty cents a watt that they could potentially be leveraging um, under a PPA or a lease finance model. So there's it is significant, and I think you're right that the the impact is likely to be an increase in TPO PPA finance models. Um, currently, According to Woodmac, we're still at about 20% um, lease to to loan, 20% lease, 80% loan in the resi market today. And so I would not be surprised if we see once this is sort of unleashed and figured out um, uh, an increase uh, on that lease and a rebalancing maybe to 50-50 within some maybe 12-month time period, something like that.
0: Wow, that Um, would be a huge shift.
4: It'll be a huge shift. Yeah. and I think that it's you know the burden is going to be on the loan financers as well to remain competitive and relevant in that shift. We also are going to see a dramatic shift in the supply chain. There are already uh, a lot of projects underway to um, to create that module assembly facilities in the US. Some have been publicly announced there are many more, I believe that are coming. Um, and so over the next six months we'll start to see, more and more names and more and more announcements about added uh, US-based assembly line capacity coming on, starting as early as Q4 in 2023, but ramping quickly in 24. And then I think we'll also start hearing about cell manufacturing and wafer production uh, announcements of those facilities. those take longer to build and and have a higher capital outlay, um, but it's all part of that long view of incentivizing and 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 encouraging more usa-based manufacturing and the further that supply chain goes the more money that's available from the government investing in that uh, u.s manufacturing um, which is really encouraging right we can get back in the game we can be competitive we've got those subsidies from the us we can we can start to be more relevant on uh, not only in our market hopefully and drive our prices down but also um, be more competitive globally
0: yeah and when you think about what this is going to do for things like the green jobs number every year right that's just been growing every single year um quite substantially i think in most cases it really will hit the accelerator on absolutely on green green jobs growth absolutely and i i know know we have a few partners that have made announcements i can think of meyer burger off the top of my head and has Q Cells made an announcement. They did. Or, okay, publicly. Okay, <laughs> yeah. So, so Q Cells is Q Cells well.
4: announced a pretty massive increase in their capacity. Right, they're already very well established as um, U.S. manufacturing down in Georgia. Two point five gigawatt expansion of that capacity. Um, and almost on the heels of that announcement, they announced a, a deal with Microsoft, which uh, might consume a huge uh, portion of that volume. But I think the, the reality is it just really speaks to their interest in investing in the US as a core market for, for PV, which is fantastic. Um, Jinko is uh, obviously also already set up with their facilities. Um REC is well on the way with theirs. And then, like I said, I think we're we're going to see a string of, I'll say, at least a half a dozen more names popping up over the next six
0: months. That was fantastic. Thank you so much for that kind of broad update on, on what's going on with the Inflation Reduction Act. And it'll be really interesting to see how everything gets implemented in coming weeks and months. Yeah. Always reach out to your BAYWA sales rep if you have questions about the IRA or other policy issues that are having an impact on your business in your area we we love to hear about you know what's going on for our customers but we also can serve as a source of information for folks so get in touch with us
2: yeah and that was great information on on the ira david um and and going from the national level maybe getting a little more localized with with nem3 um, and what we're seeing there
4: Yeah. So California NEM3, um, for those who are not aware, um, that uh, was passed in December and it had a 120-day grace period for transition. So the sort of official date of change of that interconnection policy for the major investor-owned utilities in California is April 14th. Mm. So kind of what's happening boots on the ground in California is there are many installers that are continuing to sell under their current strategy, I'll say, of the NEM 2.0. They've got this sort of ever-shrinking window of opportunity to sell existing PV-only systems with rates for the net metering export fixed for 20 years. Um, so very viable sales still, but a limited duration of opportunity to make those sales. And then um, assuming they get those uh, contracts closed with with their homeowners and the um, interconnection agreements uh, filed by uh, April 14th, then they have three years to make those installations. So what we're kind of expecting to see is a little bit of a a push, a a ramp up of the sales and then sort of an inflating of the installation funnel um, for those that are choosing that path. And then after April 14th, a shift to now you've got to sell them 3.0 viable projects. Right. And the the economics change rather dramatically with that because of the change in the rate structure. And and so basically what it means is the installers in California have to understand that now it's not advantageous for the homeowner to overproduce or oversize the system and make really high retail rates on that excess energy. What that was doing effectively was buying down the um, uh, time period or their ROI. Um, rather substantially. But if we, if we kind of take ourselves back to 15 years ago, 10 years ago, even in thinking about right-sizing a system for a home's need, you're still trying to balance your production and, and consumption on an annual basis. And if you're now no longer as incentivized to export power then you just want to do more self-consumption and you want to have a system that's better sized to the needs of the home. And the the way the rate structure is built, um, there are some advantages to being able to very strategically export power at the high rate periods and avoid exporting power at the low rate periods. And so how does one do that? You have to add storage in order to, to be able to manage that. Um, So this is where everybody is saying, well, now I can't just sell PV only. It's PV plus a battery. It's really that economic reason that it makes sense to do that. It's not that it's a requirement under NEM 3.0, but it just makes the payback uh, make more sense. So it is going to add the cost um, upfront for the system, but being smart about it, not oversizing the PV, adding a reasonably sized battery and a system that's um, tailored towards a time of use use case. It doesn't have to be a dramatic increase in the cost of the system, and you can still make the economics uh, work. So this is the challenge that the installers are are working through now. And we we really encourage you, if you're in the installer seat, uh, reaching out to to our California sales team uh, to work with um, the folks at CALSA and and others to kind of help figure out your strategy and your plan. There, there are very viable paths to, to maintaining your sales and, and your business um, strength in California. And uh, you do have to figure it out at some point. So in my opinion, no reason to wait until af- after April 14th to start working on that, figure out that path.
0: Yeah yeah there is there is a path to viable business but it does involve probably a a much greater percentage of deals being signed with a small or medium-sized energy storage solution attached you know that is going to drive the overall cost of your average system in cal installed in california likely up right because you'll have storage plus pv instead of just PV standalone in in many many cases so um there, there will be a market adjustment and it's, it's going to be really important for folks who are installing in California to get very comfortable with the energy storage installation requirements in their area, understand what the AHJs expect, where are you allowed to install batteries, you know, when do you need impact protection and things like that in your plans so that your your installations get approved without any hiccups. It's, it's, it's really important to go ahead and try to get the jump on that right now. Start having those conversations with your local permitting offices right now so that your team is uh, able to sell in that new environment confidently.
4: Absolutely. The One other thing that's come up for me around that in in that learning curve is that installers I think may need to think a little bit more robustly around the difference between that economic sort of time of use use case for the storage, which I do believe is going to be the cheapest uh, system uh, net cost overall because you don't have to invest in a large battery nor do you have to do a lot of like whole home backup kind of capabilities, right? It's, it's really just that um, optimizing your your net exports uh, very carefully. And so that is that is kind of the, the cheapest path. But for a homeowner that says maybe they don't understand that, or they're not as concerned about the economic side of it, they're actually looking for energy security Um, And they're talking about backup, whole home backup. That's your first indication that you maybe need to switch gears and thinking about, well, now I don't necessarily have to offer them the lowest cost system. I have to actually address that emotional need, which is around energy security. And, and that is not going to be the same price. It's going to be higher, right? We all know that to back up a whole home for longer durations is a much uh, larger system, a more robust system. And oftentimes it won't be the same solution necessarily that, that you're selling for the time of use system. And I think this is, a, this is an interesting change and a shift in mindset that you might wanna have a more resilient uh, kind of equipment line card that you're selling depending on those different use cases and think about which one is really designed explicitly for, or is the most robust, the most capable in different use cases. Have those at the ready, really understand, have your team trained on different kinds of systems and understand why you would have your sales team offer one versus another once they've done that discovery with the the homeowner.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's really important for folks to understand what other value adds they need to be prepared to talk about when it comes to installing PV plus storage as your predominant sales model, right? Things like main panel upgrade avoidance um, really do add a lot of value, you know, right there and and at the front of the deal, um, you can say, you know, we're saving you X amount by avoiding a main panel upgrade by using a, a system that's certified for energy management, right? Um, Absolutely. There are more More. and more solutions like that available. Sorry.
4: (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. I totally agree, Aaron. And I think we can even go a step further and encourage the installers to think of themselves as electrification contractors or or energy management contractors rather than just PV installers or solar installers, right? So there's a more robust offering. Maybe you even want to do it in stages. You want to set the homeowner up for long-term planning and success. Maybe you want to come back and visit them in two years, three years, add some more energy uh, electricity using appliances like EV chargers or other electric appliances, um, and, and really understanding at the system level, at the home level, what's needed to optimize that. And so maybe even smart load controls, like you said, it's sort of an energy management environment, energy management system holistically that you're offering the homeowner now instead of just, just a single generation source right a power yeah. plant on the roof
0: yeah yeah hey mrs miller I, I see that you're really interested in batteries does that mean you're going to be electrifying your home are you getting rid of your gas stove or going to a hybrid do you need 220 in the kitchen those kind of upsell opportunities are, are going to be rampant and so to make sure that as your team is having those conversations with customers they're looking for those opportunities and making sure that they can actually take advantage of them um, with the way that the company is structured to do installations and other electrical services was um, going to be really important.
2: And David, with uh, you mentioned uh, staging, the ITC now being uh, eligible for ESS systems for residential. Would that be a viable market to push into of, of doing the ESS system first and adding solar or as far as the, the tax incentives go?
4: Um, absolutely, it's a possibility. Um, I would. I, I guess I've tended to think about that um, s- standalone storage opportunity as a retrofit opportunity. So rather than being forced to install batteries at the time you're installing the solar, you now can go back to those million solar roofs that already exist in California and add storage to it today with the benefit of the thirty percent. But you certainly could go the other way too. Um, I think the 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 tricky part there is understanding a battery has to be recharged. And so what is the use case? Why are you installing it? If it's for a backup purpose, how are you recharging it? And if you don't have a PV system, you're probably recharging it either from the grid or from a generator. Um, And so thinking about what the long-term plan is, and again, if you're thinking about it from an electrification standpoint, then you maybe wouldn't want to go the the generator route um, or the generators there specifically for a a longer duration grid outage or something like that. Yeah. So again, uh, I think it's just a sort of a more robust and a longer term view of the opportunities and that 30% rebate makes it um, much more uh, affordable for, for more folks.
0: And are, are we seeing um, NEM-like or NEM-3-like changes in other states that you've heard of? Are there other areas around the country where there are policies uh, or there are policy initiatives that are really trying to focus on reshaping the way that net energy metering is, is handled within the state?
4: Absolutely. Um, the two states that come to mind are Florida and Minnesota. But I think for me, I tend to think about this in the, in the bigger picture of kind of the, the long-term path that um, solar has to being truly competitive with traditional um, fossil fuel source energy. We've already at the utility scale passed the point of parity for unsubsidized solar generation is cheaper than natural gas or coal. Um, That's fantastic. And I think what we're seeing at the state level and the interconnection level is we need to find uh, sort of the growing up of of that energy supply chain, if you will. Um, The utilities, sometimes we think of them more as our enemy than our partner. But at the end of the day, we're talking about adding clean generation into a grid that is now a hybrid grid of multi-sourced energy production in a distributed model, which is what PV on every residential or commercial rooftop is, we want to optimize that energy usage. We want to share it more locally. And, and there needs to be a net metering mechanism to allow for that, but it doesn't necessarily need the same economic argument that it needed 10 years ago. So I think there is a maturation of growing up that, that naturally occurs here, and you look at a, a market that was really constrained from, from an energy management standpoint, um, I'm thinking of Hawaii here, yeah, um, they I couldn't so. handle the amount of input that solar had. So they had to do something very dramatic and say zero export. Um, that is kind of the approach that some states have taken It said, we're, we're, we don't know how to manage this at the utility level. So our answer is going to be to cut it off. That's obviously not the right answer in the long-term. The long-term answer is get better at energy management and figure out how to move those electrons around and share them equitably rather than kind of the old school model of single uh, generation. And uh, one direction pushing of that energy to a, to a consumer and and that consumer you know can't share it around or push it in another direction. So if we think about energy more as a circular model, an energy management model, net metering is essential to stay in place, but it just may not have the same economics that it that it once had. And I think that's just growing up, right? and and as the the financial side of it becomes more clear and, and more competitive, we have those opportunities. In my state in New Mexico, we still have net metering, but there's the the um, the REC credits are basically gone now. But at least we're still connecting the solar; we're still allowing it to be introduced into the grid. Um, we we don't have the high levels of penetration yet, um, but I think that's inevitable um, across most states.
0: Yeah, time. yeah, yeah. The line keeps moving, and uh, we keep moving faster to catch up. So yeah, absolutely, I think we're up for the challenge.
2: And being new to a lot of this myself, uh, David, uh, what's the chance you could you could maybe summarize a lot of this stuff that we've been going over? Um, just kind of a brief recap, not, not, not the full spiel, but just kind of a shortened version of, of what you
0: covered.
4: Yeah, right. It's a lot. It's like a big alphabet soup of policies and numbers. And how do we keep track of all of that? Um, So many
0: acronyms.
4: (laughs) So many acronyms. Yeah. So, I mean, in a nutshell, we talked about the IEEE um, and requiring kind of a, a higher level smart grid interaction from the inverters. This is inevitable, right? As we have more solar connected to the grid, we have to be smarter about the energy management. The IRA is a net positive for all renewables, in my opinion, and even beyond that, energy efficiency, um, electrification, lots and lots of of good news, good opportunity, and an infusion of, of money. It's just frustrating how long it takes to get the guidance and to understand where we plug into it uh, at the installer level or the homeowner level. How do I take advantage of these opportunities? Really exciting. They're definitely going to have long-term impacts on the demand and the viability of of solar for for decades into the future. Uh, Really excellent. And then California NEM3, I think the the jury's still out on this one. I think a lot of people in our business do feel like NEM3.0 was a setback But I view it as a growing up and a a maturation and the fact that um, we need to change the economic modeling in a very high solar state like California, I see as a good indication of where we've come and where we're going next, which is um, taking more and more control of um, energy distributed energy generation and consumption. And we're really honestly competitive with, with the traditional sources. So that's a great indication in my mind. It does mean more work in the near term, lots more to get smart about, but it's inevitable. This is pushing us forward and I think it's a fantastic opportunity. So I'm really bullish actually on all of these. Policy change uh, is is frustratingly difficult to, to manage. All change is hard, but I think all of these are moving us in the right direction as an industry.
2: Great recap, thank you very much.
0: Awesome, guys. Thanks for the time. Great to catch up with you.
4: As always, yeah.